0: This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we speak to former Australia captain Lisa Stalaker in England to get a full wrap of the Women's World Cup, hear from Australian legends Ian Healy and Ian Chappell on the ashes and who they would pick first in a World Eleven. But we start with the pay dispute between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association, which is sadly taking up a lot of column inches in newspapers around the world. To get us up to speed on all things MOU is cricket.com.au. Senior writer and unplayable podcast favourite, Andrew Rambo, Ramsey Rambo.
2: Firstly, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Samuel. It's been a long and sad absence, but I'm glad there's a, a meaty issue for us to to dive into as a, as a way of welcoming me back to the vast audience.
0: Yes, let's sink our teeth into it. Okay, so tell us, Rambo, you've been covering this thing from go to unfortunate woe. Uh, what's the current state of play?
2: Uh, the current state of play is there is no woe. Well, there is woe um, in that uh, a large number of Australia's leading cricketers are now uncontracted and unemployed, but there's no woe as in finish line Mm -hmm. that we can see Um, we're not quite sure how we get to that point given that both parties seem to be fairly intractable in their positions Um, negotiations haven't really formally started on a 600 page document that was supposed to have been signed off last weekend Um, so I think the chances of getting a deal done by the end of this week, which was the uh, nominal deadline put in place for the uh, South Africa tour of the Australia A squad to go ahead, uh, is looking pretty remote. Everybody
0: wants what they feel is best for their game, don't they, Rambo? This is not they're trying to tear down Australian cricket. Both sides are coming at it from different angles, but ultimately they just want what's best for their game in this country.
2: Uh, yeah, that's the difficulty in this. I think people often ask, but what is the, the nub of this? They want the, the elevator pitch, as they say, and unless you were heading up to the top of uh, a very tall building, I don't think you'd have time to do an elevator pitch. It's essentially not about getting more money. It's not about uh, people being asked to do jobs they don't want to do. It's essentially um, one side wants to change the model by which the pay is distributed or worked out, and the other side wants to retain the the current model. Um, The bottom line is that players agree they are well remunerated for what they do. Uh, Cricket Australia agrees they should be paid more over the coming five years Um, but it's the the detail as to how revenues dispersed or whether they get a share of revenue or just a share of surplus that's the sticking point and uh, no one seems to be able to move beyond that
0: and that's the crux of it isn't it is that revenue share model which seems to be the sticking point for both sides this ACA are adamant they don't want to lose it because it feels like gives them a seat at the table and they become partners in the game Cricket Australia are saying that uh, it's kind of inflexible and if you allocate funds directly in certain parts uh, if something happens they can't change it that's that's basically it, isn't it, Rainbow? It's all about that revenue share model.
2: Now that's it. In, uh, in the, at the elevator pitch, Sam, you've done very well nutshelling that. Um, Nailed it. It's both parties basically want to get to the same outcome, which is you get the, the best cricketers in Australia back on the field playing, which is where everyone wants to see them. But um, they believe that to get there, they need to take very different routes. Um, so with a, there's been a call from the ACA for mediation. Um, Cricket Australia have. Rejected that because they claim negotiations haven't formally started, so you can't come in and negotiate on negotiations that haven't begun, or have mediate on negotiations that haven't begun. So uh, that seems to be a sticking point in itself. Um, But yeah, it's it's difficult to work out how to reach this point. I must admit, you look at it and you say the game has uh, is doing quite well financially. The players do quite well financially. Um, clearly both sides agree that more money needs to be invested in the grassroots parts of the game Uh, so with all this furious agreement um, you'd have to think that a compromise deal couldn't be far off but uh, it seems a long way off at the moment.
0: You mentioned Friday as uh, sort of the next deadline that's when Australia or the following day Saturday will be when the Australia squad would go to South Africa for uh, two four days and a round of one day matches against South Africa A and India A. The ACA have said that that tour is not going to go ahead unless there's an MOU in place. Rambo, you said it's probably not going to happen. Uh, how much impact is that going to have on the players and on cricket Australia if that tour doesn't go ahead?
2: Um, I think it has a like an impact, immediate impact on the players who who would have taken part. Um, a because it was a chance for quite a few of them to to press their claims for. Um, not just the, the upcoming test series in Bangladesh, where we know there's a, a fast bowling vacancy to fill Mitchell Stark's berth, um, but also there's a 50-over a component for that tour as well. So there's a, a scheduled ODI series against India in India later in the year, so it would have been a chance for players on that part of the tour to, to push their claims. And also the, it gives them a chance to play some cricket. I mean, as we know, Since the end of the India Tour in early April, there's been the the Champions Trophy for the men's and those who were involved in the IPL were playing cricket. But apart from that, it's been a bit of a a spell for some guys who haven't played any competitive cricket for a while. So to get back and playing, heading into what's a a fairly busy schedule, starting with Bangladesh in August, um, they would have needed to get some cricket under their belt. So they'll they'll be deprived of that. Um, The the plan at this stage is that... uh, If there is no MOU, they don't go on that tour. Um, So how they get that practice, how they get that match fitness, how they get that competitive cricket underneath them, um, we have to wait and see.
0: And there's been a lot of talk about the Test match series against Bangladesh and those one days against India and then the Ashes. But we're still a long way out from some of those things, in particular the Ashes. There's been talk about the ACA potentially subcontracting the players back to Cricket Australia so the summer goes ahead. Can you kind of fill us up to speed with that, Rambo? What's what what what's what can we make out of that? Is I think it's pretty clear that both sides absolutely want the the ashes in particular to go ahead, and even if there isn't an MOU in place, it's going to happen.
2: Uh, yeah, well, it seems to be the certainly out of Sunday's meeting with the ACA, they expressed one of the 14 resolutions they came up with was. Um, a strong desire to take part uh, in the upcoming international, certainly the Bangladesh series, the India tour and the ashes, obviously. Um, and they were keen to try and find a way to do that. So uh, the ashes is quite a way off. You know, we're talking five months or so before the, the first ball is bowled in Brisbane. Um, you'd have to think that if both parties are, are keen to get a resolution, then something will have to be sorted out by then. But um, again, you know, it's a, it's a matter of, Who's prepared to give some ground, um, how much cricket they can get in before an Ashes series. Selection becomes an issue then you haven't got any form lines to to draw some marks through. Uh, Seeing guys playing competitive cricket, uh, at this stage the Ashes seems to go to head. It's one of those series that is a a landmark in the the cricketing calendar and it's just difficult to imagine that anything other than a full Australian team would be involved. But uh, these are extraordinary times.
0: They are. Andrew, uh, you would have lived through World Series cricket, so I'm sure this is, uh, this is not completely new for you. So, Rambo, next steps. Michael Clark, former Australia captain, has said that why don't we just roll over the existing MOU? He said in the time that he's been involved in the game, the two MOUs were rolled over another year. They were delayed a year. Why don't we do that? Might be difficult because the women are currently not involved in the existing MOU. Uh, I guess what it comes down to is to getting both parties in a room, nutting it out, and finding a compromise.
2: Uh, yes yes Michael Clark was quite adamant he didn't really want to get drawn into uh, airing an opinion uh, either way on which side of the fence he's sitting um, which is probably wise because there's enough of that going on for for all of us Um, but yeah his solution was roll the MOU over for another year because he claimed the ones that he was involved in they were both extended past their deadline before they were officially signed off Um, I'm not sure about the the appetite for doing that from from either side Um, as you say it's a Probably the the big losers out of that are the women's players, the international and domestic women who aren't covered under the current MOU. So if it was to roll over, they still wouldn't be uh, included in the the paid benefits that come from that. Or if there is no MOU in place, they suffer as well because uh, they fall out of contract and and don't have any deal at all with Cricket Australia. So uh, it's a a bit of a vexed one. Um, There are all sorts of Possible solutions being aired um, as to, I'm sure there are far keener minds than uh, mine at play here trying to sort out a solution. So we just have to hope that eventually you know, there's some compromises reached and that uh, everyone can move forward and concentrate, as Michael Clark said, on uh, players preparing for cricket because uh, that's pretty much what everyone wants to see.
0: That's right. Finally, Rambo, how is the recruitment for your new research team going? It was a big uh, project for you in the off season. Uh, how's it going? You got a new team yet?
2: Uh, well, no, it was a very exhaustive um, interview process. Uh, they were assigned a task, which was to uh, find uh, a way through the MOU negotiations. Oh dear. And so currently, we have no one of that available for that position, but if they find something and bring it back, I'm sure it'll be put in place very quickly.
0: Wonderful, Andrew. Great hearing you again, mate. Are we gonna hear you again on the podcast soon? Are you lining up again for the summer?
2: Uh, well, of course, we can't take anything for granted in the current climate, Sam, but uh, <laughs> I'll certainly be uh, conducting some private training sessions and hopefully I'll be fit and able to take part uh, when the season begins.
0: Thanks, Rambo. We'll talk to you again soon, mate. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> On the line all the way from England is former Australia captain Lisa Stalaker. Lisa, thanks once again for answering our SOS. How's the UK treating you? Uh,
1: The UK has treated me a lot better than what it did when I arrived. It rained for a whole week. I'm glad to say that the sun is finally out and the Derby's looking quite pretty.
0: Lisa, you're over there covering the Women's World Cup. Uh, Australia had a convincing win against a difficult New Zealand side on Sunday in Bristol. What did you take out of that match?
1: Well, unfortunately, I couldn't watch all of it um, because there was another match going on as well, the Joys of Women's Cricket. Uh, Four matches were going on, so I was covering the India versus Pakistan, but... From what I could see, uh, it was actually a really good dominant display by the Australians. And I think, in fact, when uh, any of the top four nations get a chance and an opportunity to play against each other, that's when you really get to know how you're going in this tournament. Uh, And for the Australians to come out, the victors against New Zealand, a side who has normally taken away um, a win early on in a World Cup uh, based on previous... Uh, world Cups means that the Australians are in a really good position.
0: Australia uh, chased down the victory target of 220 with eight balls to spare. Uh, Elise Perry and Meg Lanning. Amongst the runs, Lisa, another dominant performance with the bat. Is this top order for Australia the best in the world?
1: It would certainly go close to it. Um, the fact that not only uh, their scoring runs consistently against all of the teams in all different conditions, but when you come to a World Cup, it just is that added pressure. And what they're doing is they're certainly stepping up. The fact that uh, Nicole Bolton, she scored 100 against West Indies and then backed it up with, against Sri Lanka with 60-odd. And then Beth Mooney, 70 um, off 85 against West Indies. Uh, and then obviously the captain, Meg Lanning, that innings against Sri Lanka, 152 not out, just shows that this, this top order... Are certainly going to win a lot of games for Australia, and I said early on, as well, the last podcast that Australia need to look to score three hundred every time they bat, and when they do that, uh, there won't be an opposition that will come close.
0: All right, Queenslander Jess Johnson returned to the Aussie lineup and had an immediate impact. Lisa, <laughs> she claimed three for thirty-three with the ball, including the big wickets of Susie Bates and Amy Satterthwaite. Shaggy, uh, how important is Jess to the balance of the Australian eleven?
1: Given the fact that throughout the ICC Women's Championship, which has played from 2014 up until 2016, which allowed teams to qualify for this World Cup. Jess Jonathan was a leading wicket-taker in that competition, picking up 31 wickets. Just at an impressive average of 19. Uh, and so everyone was wondering, will she be able to recreate that success in a World Cup? And she's shown that. in the fact that she missed the previous game due to a few little niggles, she's come back even better and picked up the three wickets. Uh, and I mean, even in the practice matches against South Africa and Pakistan, she picked up, uh, three wickets both times, and then two for against West Indies. So she's uh, certainly the type of bowler that we'll see Meg Lanning throw the ball to whenever uh, she needs to pick up a wicket.
0: And Jess is also a fantastic batter. She's got 99 in a test match in England. Uh, she almost seems wasted down the order <laughs> in the uh, Southern Stars lineup.
1: It's a tough order to get up the, into the top four or five, isn't it? Um, I'd hate to be in the side right now. Uh, there's just so many quality batters. Uh, the fact that, like you said, Jess Johnson is, is batting at uh, number number eight or nine means that uh, I think Australia have got the biggest depth um, from a batting department compared to any other side. And that's why I think they need to be challenged and pushed all the time to keep scoring at an impressive rate. And they're doing that so far.
0: Australia made two changes for the New Zealand clash. Jess Johnson returned for the debutante, Belinda Vakawara. And Australia also swapped their leg spinners. Kristen Beams out and Amanda Jade Wellington came in. Why do you think the selectors went that way Lisa and what skills does Wellington possess? She performed very well.
1: Well, I think uh, Kristen Beams and Amanda Wellington bowl completely differently compared the fact even though they're leg spinners um, Kristen Beams is a lot fuller straighter. She really attacks the stumps looking for a lot of LBWs and bowls whereas Amanda is your typical old school leg spinner that just flights a ball and gives it an absolute good rip um, and she really um, challenges the batters to come down at her and try and hit her straight down the ground. So you get a lot of stumpings and a lot of miscued shots. So you want your fielders to be able to catch the ball well. Uh, I think Amanda is a bit more of a, a more attacking spinner, a bit like Ash Gardner as well. Not the type of bowler that's going to go for an economy rate of you know less than three. They'll they might go for a little bit higher, but I think they'll create more opportunities. So I. Uh, I think it was a good selection. I think it's important to get um, all players really within this Australian 15 some opportunities in the round clashes um, to play and then for the Australian team to kind of figure out, right, what's our best 11 going into a semi-final and final based on who the opposition is and what the conditions are. So, um, you know, credit to Amanda as well. She had fractured finger um, from a practice match or I think training session. So for her to come back and uh, perform well uh, means that she's in a really good place as well.
0: And she wasn't the only impressive young leg spinner on show. Amelia Kerr for New Zealand. She's only 16 years old, Lisa, and she produced some wonderful deliveries. The to tabola Lisa Vellani for a golden duck was spectacular. Warney would have been proud of that one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first time I saw Amelia Kerr was via social media. Uh, I think she was about 13 years of age. She might have made her... her um, state debut at that stage, and I just thought this kid's got a lot of talent, and you just showed she just showed that in yesterday's game, the fact that she's sixteen years of age, first ball to Elise forni, who's no mug with the bat, you know no. he has scored plenty of runs, especially uh I think she picked up hundred against new zealand in in a practice match or a friendly practice match before the World Cup. Uh, and she thought, right, I'm just going to bowl my rum landed it and got her wicket. So uh, exciting things to come for her, and uh, the fact that she's only 16, I can't wait to see her in about three years' time.
0: Yeah, they might have another Daniel Vittori type on their hands, the New Zealanders. Lisa, so Australia are three from three. Uh, They're sitting second on the table behind India on net run rate. Where can Meg Lanning's troops improve?
1: I think they've been tested from a bowling department. Uh, we saw against Sri Lanka the fact that Sri Lanka scored nine uh, for 257. I mean, Atapati it was the Atapati show, really. Yeah. Um, so I think they would have been tested by that match. The fact that they came back strongly against New Zealand um, and reduced them to 219, I think, was it was an a good test for them. I think they still need to keep working on bowling a little bit fuller and um, and trying to get the ball to move around a little bit. We've seen, uh, for instance, the West Indian Openers. Um, uh, Selman and Connell do really well. Uh, even uh, Indian bowlers yesterday and Goswami as well so I think we need a little bit more from our pace attack to get the ball moving around a bit more um, but as you've seen over the recent times spin bowlers seem to be playing a major part in the Australian lineup, and they're doing, they're doing exactly that again here in the, in the Women's World Cup and I'm sure that they'd also think that from a fielding point of view they could be a little bit sharper and it's important that throughout this tournament that they keep building you don't want to necessarily play the perfect game Early on in the the round matches, you you want to kind of build up to that semi-final, final final where you try and look to kind of give yourself a a real red-hot go of of nailing all aspects.
0: On Sunday, we saw two epic collapses. Lisa, the first, the West Indies, were bowled out for just 48 and secondly, Pakistan for 74. You were there for that one. Uh, they were six for 26 at one stage. Can you put your finger on on those collapses and why those we saw those poor batting displays on a pretty good day in England?
1: Well, well the West Indies, I'm really shocked uh, at how poorly they've performed uh, during this World Cup. And the fact that they were runners-up in 2013. A lot of their players are still there. Um, they, have, they have made a number of other changes, so uh, players with experience don't seem to be or haven't been selected or injured as well. Uh, But, yeah, for them to be bowled out for 48 um, against South Africa, they did get bowled out by South Africa in a warm-up game, I think, for 63. So they, they unfortunately, weren't able to better that. Uh, It just shows how vulnerable they are if their top order, their top three or four don't score runs. uh, They fall away dramatically. Um, But credit to the South Africans. Um, We've mentioned in our other show that I think they're certainly a team on the rise. A number of their players have had opportunities to play in the WBBL and the fact that those those players, as in Dane Van Niekerk, the captain, uh, picked up four wickets for no runs off 3.2 overs. I mean, she's a leg spinner and surely she got one to stick in the hand and uh, <laughs> bounce nearly twice, but uh, obviously not or at least the West Indies didn't capitalise on a loose delivery. Um, But those are impressive figures and also Marazam Tapp picking up four wickets as well. So it just shows that that side, because of their experience now globally, is starting to really put some great performances on the board here in this Women's World Cup.
0: Lisa, I was going to say, there's one thing that you hear a lot on the broadcast is the mention of the WBBL and just what an impact it's had on these cricketers. Not only that they get to play together, but I guess it just really is a a fantastic showcase of the best players in the world playing at one time. I, I can't imagine the players could be any more wrapped about playing in a tournament and playing against international caliber players week in week out day in day out in the WBBL
1: yeah I think I think that has a lot to do with the standard lifting obviously the uh, ICC women's championship which required all the the eight teams to play each other in a bilateral series has meant that there's no surprises come a world cup so for the likes of Sri Lanka or Pakistan or even South Africa to come up against an England or Australia they're not oh, that's Meg Lanning or, oh, that's Elise Perry or Heather Knight. They're playing these players regularly in the WBBL competitions. Some of them are even playing with them. So they get an understanding of they're not that scary. They're just pre-average job logs like myself. You know, they have those days (laughs) that that, uh, things don't work out for them and maybe I can extract that today. So I don't think there's that awe about playing the big nations anymore for these these other teams. And and that has meant that they just see them as players and and they'll play their strengths and weaknesses. And uh, that's why we're seeing, for instance, South Africa perform really well.
0: All right, each side has now played three matches. India, Australia, South Africa and England make up the top four. Who or what has impressed you the most so far, Lisa?
1: I think India has impressed me the most. I mean, I'm not surprised that South Africa are performing as well as as they are. It would have been really nice to see them play against New Zealand, that game was washed out here in Derby, Um, I think that's when we would have been able to see where South Africa really are in the competition. So we'll have to wait until they come up against uh, England or Australia before we kind of really see how they're travelling. But India have impressed me, uh, the fact that they beat England In the first match, India scored for 281, and England were all out for 246. So the fact that Shemitah Mandana, who we saw in the WBBL, despite the fact that she had that terrible injury of the ACL and and meniscus tear, has come back from January and and been able to to put on a 90 and 106. Um, Their top order have been impressive, uh, but also their bowlers have done the job as well. So... Uh, you know, they've even got one of, I think, one of their most explosive batters, Veda Krishnamurti. She still hasn't played a game yet in this Women's World Cup. So it just shows they've got some depth within their side and uh, they're confident. They think they can win this tournament. So, you know, a bit of confidence helps anyone and and India are now off to the perfect start. They've got Sri Lanka next uh, on Wednesday and then they come up against the South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. So... Um, they're in a very good position at the moment to to kind of pick up another two points against Sri Lanka. And then if they were to make a few upsets along the way in their last three matches, I, I certainly feel that we're going to see them in a semi-final.
0: And what about a biggest surprise of the tournament today, Lisa? Is there anything that stood out for you that, that you weren't quite expecting?
1: Well, I think we can't go past Tamari Atapatu's innings against the Australians. 178 yeah. not out. Um, it, it was one of those innings that, you look back out on it and you go, wow, I was there. I was able to see it. And, um, you know, we've had a number of reporters that cover all cricket around the world. And um, Jeff Lemon has also said, you know, that's got to be one of the best innings right up there with some of the best male innings that he's seen. So just showed you how special that was. Um, coming up against the world champs, uh, wickets falling left, right and centre up the other end. But she just kept building on her innings so she looked comfortable played the ball nicely, worked the singles, hit the loose ball away then she went up another notch where she you know, started to strike the ball really well found a few more fours and then right at the end we saw the pinnacle of her just clearing her front leg and striking it so beautifully down the ground to sixes sixes galore so um, I'm sure all WBBL uh, coaches and uh, captains would will, will have looked at that innings and thought hang on Maybe there's a spot for to
0: into our squad. <laughs> you as a Sixers member, have you gone up to her and, and given her a quiet word in the ear, Lisa?
1: Well, you know, the Sixers the defending champs. Uh, I don't know. Do we need to change a winning formula?
0: <laughs> That's a very, very good point. <laughs> uh, do you still like Australia to take it out, Lisa? And, and if so, who faces them in the final?
1: I, I do think Australia still has looked... The better side. I think England are starting to to kind of find their mojo in the competition. The fact that Sarah Taylor scored a fifty um, in yesterday's game. Uh, she's a real important cog in their wheel. I think if she feels comfortable after being away from the game at the international level for a year, um, I think she'll be she'll give them the confidence that they can win it. Their fast bowlers haven't done as well as I would have expected. Um, so I think. I really think Australia could be playing, potentially, New Zealand or
0: India uh, in the final. Right. Okay, and finally... of course,
1: Australia winning.
0: Of course, Australia. Uh, And finally, Lisa, uh, what's the catering been like over there? From memory, when I've been in England covering cricket, uh, the countergrounds do a fabulous job feeding the media. And afternoon tea is dangerously delightful. Is it still the case?
1: I'm not going to lie. The game's here in Derby. I'm going to take a photo for you, Sam. I'm going to tweet it of what we have on offer. Holy smokes. I wish we had a lot longer of a lunch break because we're normally rushing around. But you get three choices for hot meals. Then you walk to a tent and there's like five different salads. Then you've got three different types, three or four different types of desserts. A oh, cheese man. platter. And then you've got um, another, you know, um, cauliflower cheese or vegetables or something else it is amazing i am going to come back we talk about the Heathrow injection i'm going to get probably two shots of it by the time i come back
0: it's the cakes that get me lisa the cakes they just they put on these things and you just can't resist them as you know really test your willpower over there i mean i know the players are doing it tough out in the middle yeah. but think about the people calling the games i mean that's i would even say a harder battle
1: it is. And you've always had to got, when you have a cup of tea, you've got to have something sweet with it. So it's like, holy smokes, guys, I don't need it. And then always, you know, sandwiches, they have their crisps on the side or your, your sweet potato fries. It's Look, it's a, it's there's a lot of uh, issues out here in England uh, from an eating point of view. So I've got to kind of find my way through it and still try and find the opportunity to get out there and probably run a little bit.
0: All right, Lisa, Stay strong. Keep working on that willpower. Thank you (laughs) very, very much for your time. And hopefully we'll speak to you again later in the tournament.
1: All right. No worries, Sam.
0: I was lucky enough to speak to former Australia captains Ian Chappell and Ian Healy on Tuesday at Channel 9's Wide World of Sports Ashes launch in Sydney about the upcoming England-South Africa Test Series in the Ashes in Australia later this year. Apologies in advance for the background noise. It was all happening, as Bill Laurie would say. Ian, hey, thanks for chatting to us. Hey. Uh, Australia, England, Ashes again this summer. England have got South Africa and then the Windies before they head down under. Um, what are you looking forward to about that first series against the Proteas?
3: I think England will uh, probably beat South Africa. Um, England are a pretty good side. Uh, and they're, they're also well equipped for Australia because they've got good pace bowling. And you, you've got to come here with good pace bowling. Doesn't guarantee you're going to win, but if you haven't got good pace bowling, you're not going to win in Australia. So I'm going to be really interested to see how they go against South Africa. Um, I think without Fuff there for the first one, that'll definitely favour England. Um, so England need to take advantage of that. Um, I'm obviously going to be interested to see uh, Joe Root's captaincy as well. Um, I think England have got a few things to sort out. I don't, I don't see Gary Balance being a big success against Australia. Um, if they're going to be batting him at three in Australia, I think the Australians will be pretty happy about that. So I think they've got a couple of spots to sort out. But, you know, with their pace bowling and Wokes and Stokes as all-rounders, uh, spin bowling to me is probably their biggest weakness, yeah. yeah.
0: Just on the spin bowling, they've got away with Mo and Ali. Uh, they've had Rashid in India, Dawson in the squad as well. Who is their premier spinner? Do they even know?
3: I don't think they do know, no. and uh, I don't think they're going to get away with Moe Ali in Australia. Sure, if he's your second spinner, then fine. But I think they need a, a front line spinner. Um, I don't, I don't know whether Mason Crane is going to be that far advanced by the time they get here. But um, I think if they've got. Uh, thoughts of bringing him to Australia. I, I think they should play him in a couple of tests in England first. I don't think Adil Rashid will work in Australia. I think the Australians
0: will uh, will take you know take a toll on him. Why do, why do you think that? He, he, he was he took a lot of wickets in India. Went for a lot of runs, but he yeah. he's played well in the Big Bash.
3: Yeah, no, But that's that's a game where batsmen will get themselves out. Yeah. But when you when the bowler has got to get them out. I think uh,
0: that's when he'll struggle, and I, I, don't, I don't think he'd give the Australian batsman much trouble. Joe Root, how different is his captaincy going to be from Alastair Cook, and does it need to be a lot different? Does he need to be more attacking and more
3: aggressive? He's got to be better captain than uh, Alastair Cook. Yeah, Cook's, uh, Cook's a very uh, determined uh, and very good batsman, but as a captain, I thought he was not very good at all, and he was particularly bad here last time in Australia. So I would expect Root to be, one, a better captain and, two, uh, a lot different
0: style of captain. Do you think Cook will have a bit of weight lift off of his shoulders now? He doesn't have the captaincy. He's scoring a lot of runs for Essex so far. Um, maybe said the best of Alistair Cook. He's already got the, the record for England for most test runs. I don't think it'll do him
3: any harm not having the captaincy. I, I think you're right. It'll probably be a bit of a weight off his shoulders. And, uh, I mean... That's what he really seems to like doing, batting,
0: and batting for a long time. And I think that'll suit him down to the ground. Ian Healy. Mate, thanks for joining us, pal. Uh, hey, uh, Ashes, big summer coming up. What do you think about it?
4: Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see how our brand-new Australian side goes. You know, We might get Pat Cummins on the field for a long time, James Pattinson to go with Stark and Hazelwood. You know? So they're really key, I reckon. Can Renshaw keep up his good work? He, he spent time at the crease right when we needed it in India and last summer. So now it's a chance to showcase what else he's got. And Hanscom, can he continue his unbelievable run? So, And then who's going to settle at number six? Um, Steve Smith certainly needs some support.
0: That's the big question. Who is the all-rounder? In Australia, they go for a seam bowl. Do they pick a specialist batsman? Does Glenn Maxwell retain his spot?
4: Yeah, well, it's, it's hard not to give it to Maxwell after that century he made in India. It was... Uh, uh, a wonderful century. I've never seen him bat so well. His footwork that day was the best I'd seen for a long, long time. So, so uh, I, I hope he can start the summer like that uh, and and really apply himself and showcase those sort of skills once again. Uh, when conditions aren't aren't going to be as tough as they were in India. So yeah, he, he's the front runner. Um, but he, of course, he's not. His part-time bowling's not getting used. So is there someone else that could bat six even better? But. Uh, no, he'd be the front runner for mine but everyone's going to have to chip in because I reckon England are a pretty good side and they fancy themselves.
0: Who's Australia's number six for the first test in Brisbane?
3: I, I don't think the selectors know at this stage. Um, yeah, I, I think cart riders probably uh, in their minds. Um, at this stage, Mitchell Marsh has got to do a lot to, uh, to recover that position. Um, he's He's really got to get in the side as a batsman and, and what I've seen so far, he's not a number six test batsman. So he's, he's got a lot to do. Um, I think technically there's no reason why uh, Moises Enriquez couldn't do the job but I don't know, just something seems to be missing there. Um, uh, but technically I, everything I've seen from him there, he's, he's certainly a good enough batsman Bowling, I'm not so sure about. But um, uh, batting, there's no reason why he can't make it a six. Hilton Cartwright, I've, I've seen a bit of him. I like what I see with his batting, but I don't think his bowling is of a lot of consequence at test level at this stage.
0: But does that mean they're probably going to look for a, more of a specialist batsman at number six if these guys aren't going to contribute a whole lot with the ball? And what about Glenn Maxwell? He's the incumbent number six. Does he have to bowl steam up to, to play in that first test?
3: Well... I think Maxwell would have to prove himself as a batsman at number six in Australia. In my mind, um, I think you'll see a bit more short-pitch bowling in Australia. Um, once again, there's no doubt that he's got the skill to do the job, um, and if he shows the sort of patience that he showed in making that hundred in India, uh, then he could hold the hold the position down no problem at all. Um, he could certainly be your second spinner um, batting there but I just get the feeling that
0: Steve Smith likes that extra seamer up his sleeve England new captain Joe Root they got South Africa first then the Windies what do you reckon about their squad they're going to come over here with a lot of confidence but there are a few cracks there
4: Hopefully they don't come out here with much confidence. The West <laughs> Indies beat them and South Africa beat them. Um, no, I think Joe Root's a good leader. He's a nice bloke and, a, and he's got a good attitude, so he doesn't take himself too seriously. Alistair Cook will be able to breathe and relax, not being the captain. Uh, ben Stokes has emerged as a world-class player. Um, <clears throat> they're all doing well. Their top order's doing really, really well. And then they've got Broad... They've got Anderson, who, who has underachieved here in Australia, so maybe he might get it right and have one last dash at a good Australian tour. If that's the case, he'll be well backed up by Chris Wokes too. He's, he's come a long, long way that, since I last saw him play. Uh, he, he's looking fantastic. So oh, it's a 50-50 uh, you know, series for mine at the moment. I need to know a bit more yeah. about their confidence levels closer to the time, but at the moment, 50-50... Uh, if we play three of our quicks and always have three quicks on the field, I think we can win.
0: James Anderson is probably right at the end of his test career. This will probably, most certainly be his last Ashes tour in Australia. Has he got what, still got what it takes to perform down here? Ian Healy sort of questioned whether he can get it done with the Rick cooker by a ball. Are you confident that he can be a force down here?
3: Well, I think he's got a lot to prove in Australia. And uh, on what he's shown so far, um, he, he might be lucky to hold a spot. In Australia, uh, Broad, you know, Broad's got a better record than him in Australia. I think Broad, Broad's style of bowling is perhaps better suited to Australia. Um, and then when you got Wokes and Stokes, I like the look of Mark Wood. I think uh, Jake Ball is a pretty reasonable. There's a they got a lot of good young quicks around. So I I wouldn't see James Anderson as a certainty. In the I mean, I think he'll come to Australia, but I don't necessarily see him as
0: a certainty in the 11. What do you think Anderson has underachieved out here? Is it, is it the red ball, the kookaburra ball, and, and sort of stop swinging probably a little bit earlier than the Jukes ball?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think he's even said that in the past. Um, And then it's a real test of his stamina to bowl long, long periods in hot old Australia um, where the ball didn't swing for long when it was brand new and it doesn't reverse as much as his England one reverses later on in the inning. So that Dukes ball gives a bowler a lot more pleasure than the Kookaburra ball. It's hard slog, flatter seam, not swinging as much. You, you need to really have some stamina and endurance, and, and, and he hasn't. you know, but Basically, they come out here after their summer. Yeah. So it's hard work. When it, whenever an Australian team goes to England or an England team comes to Australia, they can sometimes be tired, especially the fast bowlers. So they'll be managing him as well as they possibly can to see if he can uh, cause some trouble in Australia.
0: And just finally, you're a big baseball man. They have the draft there every year. Uh, let's do our own cricket draft. If you're selecting a team, a world team, Who's your number one pick? A world team. Test match.
3: Test match cricket. Okay. Well, I'm looking I'm looking for someone who can win you matches. Uh, so I'm probably gonna be looking for a bowler rather than a batsman. Um, yeah, I mean there's there's plenty of good batsmen and I mean you got you got probably four guys there, you know, Coley, Smith, Williamson, Root. Any of those four, they're all. You, you can pick any one of them, and they're going to do a good job. But I mean, it depends. Now, where are you playing the test?
0: Let's let's play it at Lords. Play it at Lords, home of cricket.
3: Well, it's not necessarily the home of cricket in my book, but <laughs>
0: um, uh, well, let's play it. Oh, Why don't we play the Gabba? That's the, probably the fairest wicket in the world. Bounce, spin, pace, the whole lot.
3: I'd I'd probably be uh, picking Mitchell Stark first up. Yeah because the hardest thing to do in a cricket match is get the 20 wickets. You, know, you, can, always, you can pretty well always find an up-batsman to get your 300 runs. If you, can get, if you can get 300 to 350, if you've got a decent attack, you can win more than you lose, but that's only if you've got a decent attack. So that's why I'd go for a bowler number one.
0: If you had to pick a world team, you can pick anybody first, who's your number one pick to start a test team?
4: David Warner. I just think he's a scary proposition for the opposition, so he's got a double effect. His side loves him. He can make a mockery of difficult batting conditions. He can come out and peel off 50, 100 when everyone else is battling away for 30s. Um, And so his side loves that, and the opposition know it. I think he's even more scary a proposition than Steve Smith. who's very, very consistent and a a wonderful player. Like I think he'd be number two, but but, uh, I'll go Warner at the top of the order.
0: That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. But until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores and video from the Women's World Cup and all the action from the cricket universe.